uh, and I would uh, defend my right to have those notions. I mean, look, the idea of you're going to stand up on stage and everybody shut up. Yeah. I'm going to talk. <laughs> That's notions by definition. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I am Denise Curtin and today I am joined by Charlotte Regan. Comedian, writer, illustrator, podcaster, organ donor. Have I missed anything? <laughs> I like to bake as well. Oh, you like to bake baker. Okay, get that in there now. But um, anyone that knows you is well aware of your incredible podcast, An Irishman Abroad. I feel like that's definitely something we should start with. You kind of got into the podcasting game before Manny... I, f I feel like before it became a popular thing, you could yeah. say. Tell me, how did that happen? Yeah, before your granny had a podcast, <laughs> I had a podcast. <laughs> how did it happen? I think mainly because I was uh, trying to move to England and I was trying to get my family set up there alone a lot. And I think we've all had the experience of a podcast being your company and actually when you would have just been listening to the sound of your own breath or the noise around you, it taking you somewhere else. And I really was indebted to podcasts at that time because I, like, I was pretty miserable. I was sleeping on airport floors a lot. <laughs> and uh, I guess I was like, there isn't one for me doing what I'm doing, trying to start out somewhere else. And it began with that idea. How about we talk to people that have successfully become Irish people abroad? And that's how it began. And it really was just me sitting on my bed, Skyping my first guest, and then attempting to edit it <laughs> and realizing I don't know what I'm doing. And that was probably the biggest lesson I took away from it straight away was it's okay to admit you can't do something. Yeah. If I hadn't admitted I can't do it, and found Brian Connolly, my producer, who edits and produces everything, there wouldn't be a podcast. So actually, the immediate takeaway was admitting your ineptitude is a valuable thing. Yeah, exactly, and that you need help, because I think some people attack it, like if they can't do all elements of it, mm. I can't do it at all. And that's yes. probably the worst way to look at Completely it. Completely getting bogged down in the back end, whereas the passion has to be there if yeah. you're interested in it. And I really, really still love podcasts. Yeah. Like I listen to you guys and stuff and I try and listen to as much as I can. And yeah, you just have to love it first, right? If mm -hmm. you don't love it, when it becomes really hard, you will have nothing to fall back on because you don't have that love. 100%. And you found the niche market as well, you know, starting off and things like that. Did you ever think it was going to become the machine that it is today? Machine? Yeah. <laughs> it is a machine. It's bloody fucking incredible. It's, um, I never thought, no. Yeah. No, I, I really didn't. I also think that like that's probably a dangerous way to start anything, isn't it? Thinking we're going to conquer the world. Start small. I really started really small. I was really doing it for my own enjoyment in many ways. Uh, I liked it. <laughs> I was making a podcast that I'd listen to and uh, hoping for the best. I had no plan for episode number two, but the Irish Times put it on the cover of their paper. And it, I know how number one works in the iTunes charts and that it is about new subscribers. So, like, I knew it's not a huge deal to go to number one right away. But it, it was enough to make you go, wow, well, all the messages and so people like it. Uh, 
so let's go and make more. And at the time I was in Edinburgh, so surrounded by Irish people abroad who had done well. And uh, I think I just asked Ed Byrne if he'd do episode number two and we recorded it the next day. And from that point forward, I don't know if you feel this way about podcasts, but I always feel a part of the, the relationship is consistency. Yeah. That we have an unwritten contract with our listeners to provide it on time to a quality and we haven't missed a week since the beginning. Like it's every single Sunday since 2013. So here we are. That's three, incredible. 337 episodes later. Because I think a lot of products with podcasts as well, it's, it's great to have an idea and it's great to kick something off and get that initial attraction. But it's when you talk to someone 65, 66 episodes even down the line, it's a case of, you know, are you still doing what you did when you started? Because mm. it, is, it is tough to keep it going. Do you think mm. there's one key into, in your consistency or is it just a love for it? Um, well, like consistency in, like in everything, it, it, like I think it comes down to, like for all of us are trying to be consistent friends and parents and uh, <laughs> workers. And really, I think sometimes it is just about having a kind of a pride in it, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That you, if you're connected to the sense that, well, uh, uh, am, I, am I the kind of person that lets people down? Uh, if you can c connect a pride to something, whatever it is, whether it's training for a marathon, if you can connect your personality to it, actually breaking the the chain of consistency becomes harder because <laughs> the guilt of it. Yeah, right? oh, completely, completely. Irish the shame. People, the guilt the shame. and shame. <laughs> just went, just went full Catholic Church on myself there. <laughs> yeah. And then you were saying you've you've over three hundred episodes. Haven't missed a Sunday, which is incredible. I don't know when you take holidays, but you've had such incredible guests. We're talking Chris O'Dowd, Boy George, some amazing names. Mm. Do you think there's been like a highlight or like a top guest that you're like, oh, that was just. There's a few. There's definitely been a few moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm talking to this person, and uh, moments where like somebody who doesn't do interviews, like Aidan Gillen, who you know isn't a great man for you know one-on-one -on -one chat, was like it's it's a like a real that was a highlight because they were the trust of it. Yeah, and the same with Tom von Lawler and. Uh, you know, also the kind of, I think one of the nicest relationships that we've had across the episodes with Sharon Horgan, who was one of the first guests before Catastrophe, before it all blew up. And I think she was still writing Catastrophe when I first met her. She's been on, I think, three times since. And, you know, for, for me, I can't really pick a special moment, but I can pick kind of moments like that and uh, kind of trickier ones that have been hard to do what people have enjoyed. I mean, oftentimes it's the one that you think, oh, that was really tricky. And then if people like that, that one. So everybody has, I don't think it's up to me to say what yeah. the favourites are in some yeah. ways. It's up to the, everyone else. You know? But I think, I think that's what's great about your podcast as well is that you offer such variety. You know, it's not, it's not just one person that does one thing. There's, there's such a variety. Um, do you find it difficult to kind of try and pull from different people or... Well, as we're on the podcast, we're on. Like getting women on the podcast is a priority for me. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and that's been hard because, you know, you're asking a stranger to sit in a room with you in a closed space. And like I've talked to Deborah Francis White and Sarah Pascoe and other people who are like, you know, super active, brilliant feminist warriors about how can I do this? And it's so hard often to just get past that part of the trust element of it. Um, and I'm still working on that, to be totally honest. Uh, the, what was the question again? <laughs> That's just one thing that was on my mind, being on the Girls with You're Girls You're like, podcast. now that I'm here, can, yeah. I, can I nab some of your guests? <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe that's why it came to mind, because I feel like uh, I, I have restless nights about the gender balance on the show. Okay. It's the truth. Yeah. And, uh, like, m my wife, who's kind of the secret uh, weapon of the podcast, who has for years done great research and has found guests that I never would have thought of, uh, is forever pushing. Uh, and, you know, we, we try and get the best ones we can. But, you know, the, the work of guest getting, if anyone's thinking starting a podcast. No, I can't even. That is the work. Like, you know it better than anyone. 99% of the work takes place off air. And this is kind of the fun bit. It, no, this is definitely the fun, but I even know myself when you're trying to rally guests, be it the women that you find hard to get for your shore, just anyone. It's like, will they show up? Will they be on time? Is will that... we actually have someone for next week? It's, it is restless night's sleep. Like actually recording the shows is the fun part. There is that. Will they show up? Yeah. But you were saying about getting women on the show. If you were to pick a woman to have on your uh, podcast, anyone, be it a 2020 goal, who would it be? Mary Robinson was always number one. Okay. Uh, even like I can remember I, I found the email the other day, the first one I sent to her and uh, kind of trying to find exactly where to go and how to word it and delighted to say she's doing it this month. She's going to do it in March. So we'll have Mary Robinson on, which was always a, a dream. Uh, I always wanted Jean Butler on and she's going to, she just said that she would do it. It's not, we're not locked in yet, but she's definitely going to do it. Um, I always wanted Ruth Nega on, on the podcast. I think she's incredible. incredible. Obviously, Saoirse. Um, like I could go on and on. There's so many amazing ones. Like Katie Taylor, I've been in touch with her management as well. And, you know, I think in some ways you've really got to respect people's right to say no. And I'm sure that at the time's not right. Like I remember talking to Andy Lee when he was still an active fighter. And talking to him about mortality in the ring, injury, potential of death, like at the job he does. And I kind of felt bad, like in the interview, because I was like, he was like, no, I never think about that. And I was like, I shouldn't have brought this up because now he is thinking about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, in that way, I guess you, you have to, oh, I don't see myself as press. I think that's the other thing. I don't see myself as some journalist trying to get a scoop mm -hmm. and if you aren't that they can sense that and uh, I think you've you've got to respect that relationship as well that we're not trying to to, to mine people for the juicy bits or with Irishman abroad certainly it's it's much more of a conversation show
And do you think that Irish people, like, they have an inability to say no sometimes? <laughs> that it's a case of, will you do the show? Ah, I'll, I'll think about it and just never come back to you. I definitely get a lot of no's and I definitely get a lot of, uh, well, I wouldn't say I get a lot of no's. You're right. Yeah. I get a lot of, uh, I know you read that message. <laughs> and, and you have to just go, okay. Yeah. You know, okay. But equally, you've got to be able to go whatever like fine no no worries let's come back to it and be and not be like oh you didn't reply to my last message yeah like that's I mean think I think we can all learn from a little bit from that the sense of you know, people have stuff going on you really don't know what's going on in people's lives and you're asking them to do a free thing. I know. <laughs> you know? It, it's, it's not the easiest thing. It's not the <laughs> no. easiest thing. And do you think as well that when you approach people, you have to try and get across the, the message that you're not going to pry? It's just a conversation or... Yeah, yeah. Well, I actively, I would actively tell them that. Yeah. I would say, a lot of the times I'll say, um, if there's anything you want to take out, I oh, say it at the it. top, we'll, we'll take it out. So if, if, and it does happen in a, like in a long, as yours is, the long chat, stuff can get said. You can forget that you're being recorded and stuff has been said where people have come back to me and gone, yeah, can we cut that bit about my map? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that bit goes and, and they walk away happy, feeling like I'll recommend it to someone else. Well, I think that's the great thing about an Irishman abroad. You can tell that it's an intimate conversation and whether or not, you know, someone wants something cut out of it, it seems really raw and it seems really like from the heart and they're telling things mm. how, to, how it is. And I think that's, that's what podcasts started out to be and mm. what they sh still should be. I think I saw a meme recently and it was like, um, like the 90s, let's start a band is like the like 2020, let's make a podcast. Make a so podcast. Isn't it, it mad? It's mad. It's, it's absolutely that's mad. That's the way it's, that's what it's become. Um, and, and who knows, is, is the YouTube channel in the next thing? Maybe, maybe not. But all I, all I, all I know is that we've never plateaued. And I, I feel the same way with you guys. Yeah. Very ambitious idea. And you're always headed upwards yeah. for that reason. No, that completely. you're not just resting on your laurels going, well, sure, that's what we do. Yeah, and it, like I'm a brand now, so eh. Yeah. You know, it Relax. still has the core values that it did when it began. And I think yeah. that's what's so important. But yes. um, moving from your podcast to your comedy, you started doing comedy when 2003? I started doing comedy when my, uh, uh, when my employer told me that they no longer wanted to employ me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went home and started looking for another job. And my girlfriend, now wife, Tina, said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm looking for another job. And she was like, you hate your job. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. Sure. She was like, yeah, you, you know what you want to do here. And that was tell jokes. <laughs> and, and like, I feel like that was uh, a much bigger leap back then, because now as any comic listening to this will know, you have access to the audience and a, a vast, vast splintered audience that you only need a tiny little bit of that pie to be able to sustain a YouTube channel or uh, even a Patreon page that will support your creative outlet. But in two, this is like late 2000s, that's not the case. And uh, a bit more of a roll of the dice. So yeah, to answer your question, 
was like 2006-ish uh, was when I got let go and that was kind of the beginning. And I always wonder, how does it begin? Do you just tell jokes in your sitting room? Were you like, actually, I'm kind of funny. I could, I could run with this. I probably was annoying people telling jokes for yeah. an awful long time. Absolutely love, loved comedy. Absolutely in love with it from like the way little boys love football. I loved comedy and just, well, like there's something involuntary about comedy, like about laughter. There's just something like people lo like lose control of themselves. <laughs> and that just uh, like has always been amazing to me that like making somebody laugh is, it's like the highest achievement you can have in human interaction. I was saying to somebody the other day that it really annoys me that there's no comedy Oscar. Because you can make anybody cry. Everyone cry. Everyone cries. I cry once a day. <laughs> sad music makes anyone cry. <laughs> I think if you put I sad music ad. to any video, yeah, John you'll Lewis. cry. Yeah. Off you go. Boom. Tears. Laughter's hard. Laughter is hard. And that, I, I guess I'm, I'm extremely, extremely proud <laughs> that I've managed to make a living doing it. And I feel like what I've written now what I'm here promoting in this Vicar Street show is the best thing I've I've written. It's That's the amazing. funniest thing I feel. Well, I don't, I kind of, a, like, I guess I walked around for an awful long time going, oh, sure, Jesus, don't mind me. Sure, I'm just trying my best to be funny. Oh, oh God, oh, well, look, sure, we'll see if it's funny. And if you like it, you like it. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck that. Look, it's really good. I like it. And I kind of don't give a shit now. People like it. And people have liked the show, so if people want to come to Vicar Street, they they will laugh. I mean, the other person I talked to the other day was like, the aim here is to leave you in pain. Like, it's not to make you titter. Yeah, it's to double you over and uh, like hit you in the face with these jokes as hard as possible so that you cry. Yeah, <laughs> I want that's you to job. feel pain. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's why it's called killing. That's why they're yeah. called punchline. Actually, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Oh my God, that's scary. I, I destroyed. It's a very violent thing. <laughs> and uh, I really, I like I wrote the show Organ Freeman. That was the last one I took to Vicar Street. I donated the kidney to my brother. It was a very different kind of kettle of fish. It was a quite a hard show to perform about a very strange time in my life. But there was comedy in it. Mm. And there, like in some ways, comedy lets you get to things. Like The Big Sick is one of my favorite movies. And it, it allowed Kamel and Emily to address something that wouldn't have flown in drama. It just would have been another Tear, tear. Yeah. movie <laughs> and comedy allows you to get there to, to things that you you don't see coming hence so the punchline if you had to describe Notions 11 how would you describe it well it, it's a very kind of I guess the way I've described it is it's a show about now uh, and I think there's been a lot of talk about how hard it is to write comedy in the current climate mm. and Oh, Jesus, sure, you might be offending somebody. I, I don't agree with that. I don't really agree with that. I think that if you can't write jokes about now without hurting people's feelings, you need to look at how you're writing and what it is that you're writing and why you want to write things that are going to hurt people. But then maybe I'm just not hurt. 
Yeah. Maybe I just don't get hurt easily. I'm an extremely privileged, white, straight man uh, who, who grew up with a load of opportunities at his feet. Uh, so I don't judge anybody for being offended by comedy, but I wanted to write a show that was really about now. Yeah. And uh, found some grain of silly in what we're all dealing with because it is this is a weird time it's to weird live. isn't it it's is a weird time would to you live. would you say you've notions a hundred and ten percent and i would uh defend my right to have those notions i mean look the idea of you're going to stand up on stage and everybody shut up yeah. I'm going to talk. That's <laughs> notions by definition. Look, it is. It is. I won most notions at my Christmas party two years ago. <laughs> and I was actually kind of traumatised when I won because I was up against people that I personally thought. There was nominees as well, which was alarming. And I was up against people I thought were way more notiony than me. And then when they called out me as the winner, I was like, maybe I need to take a long, hard look at myself. Oh, <laughs> maybe my God. I am more notiony. notions award yeah, is amazing. I know. And did they give you uh, on what basis? And just my round the office life, it, it seems. Oh, oh. Our, our awards are, are harsh. Like they're, they're doggy dog. But here's the other thing. They gave you the award knowing you could take the joke. See, and that's I got a, a cert, which is great. It's on my wall. They couldn't Look at give it, it, it to it you. Maybe you don't have the most notions. Maybe <laughs> they, they gave it to you because they knew you didn't have the most notions because the people that had true notions about themselves yeah. would be offended yeah. by a notion. They award. might have nominated them to give them the dig. And so they know. I know yeah. you've notions. To let you know. Yeah. 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 Well, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really, really happy about the award. <laughs> I feel like the show will be very suited to me. So yeah, if it, you'll, if, you'll if, enjoy it. If it's, yeah. all, if it's all about notions. <laughs> And then it's a stand-up special. So is the show being recorded? It's being filmed, yeah. Uh, so there'll be a bit of fun in that, in that, you know, when you go to film and you're at a thing that's being recorded, whether it's The Late Late or uh, The Ray Darcy Show or uh, what's another show? <laughs> <laughs> TV. Uh, telly. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to try and make that element of it as fun for the audience as possible as well. So, you know, we're going to have to get a certain amount of stuff in the first half that is, you know, to have. Content. To keep as yeah. cutaways. Mm. And, uh, you know, we're going to have some fun with that. I also have a sport act called John Mars, a new uh, Northern Irish comedian who's going to be on in the first half as well. And then, you know, filming the special itself in the second half of the show. So I'm excited to get it done. Yeah. And then how do you find about the whole getting up on stage situation, talking to the crowds? Is it a thing that you find daunting or do you think it's second nature to you now at this stage? No, no, never, never find it. No, I don't, I don't know. I think I like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, well, it's, it's that's your job, job, so it's key. But, you know, you have some people who have yeah. to do this like pre-show warm up where they're nearly turning inside out in the, in the change room yeah. Yeah, before they go up on stage. But you find it, you find it fine. Yeah, PJ, former guest of yours. Yeah. Never seen anything like it in my life. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on? What's he doing? <laughs> what's, what? Slapping his face, rubbing himself, punching himself, yeah. running around. Shouting, it's like, I, I'd never judge him for it, but I was like, do you not like doing this? Like, I, I volunteered to do that. I wanted to do this. But like, <laughs> it's funny because th there he is and there are loads like him. Yeah. 
And you'd, you'd, never, you'd never see that side of it. No, you never would. Yeah, you uh, never think it. But like, honestly, you do have an anxiety, mm. right? But I think as you move through it and anyone who's starting out in comedy or thinking about trying comedy and thinks, oh, I couldn't get over the nerves. I do think it's about framing that like, I'm sure you, you know, you have a certain amount of anxiety when you come in here to do this. But in your mind, you know, <laughs> that's me preparing to do my best. That's my body yeah. telling me, don't fuck this up. This you is important to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to continue doing this, do this well. Yeah. I mean, it's just not letting that take over yeah. and, and kind of impede what it is you're, you're trying to do. Like, I definitely was very anxious in the beginning, but I mean, what's the point? Like, what is the point? Like, we're not here for that long. I know. <laughs> this is it. It's all joy at what you're doing. This it. is it. Yeah. This is it. And then do you think when it comes to the jokes part and making people laugh, is there a fear that people won't laugh? If there isn't, there's, uh, there's something wrong, <laughs> right? If you don't care if they laugh or not, well, then just do it at home <laughs> into the mirror or you know, write a blog. Mm. Um, you're like, I am definitely trying to give people the best, as I said, the best night out they're going to have. You, you're, uh, I'm, I actually don't worry about that because I think that like, if, if they, if they, if there's a joke that I know to be funny <laughs> and they don't laugh, the joke's uh, like, on them. I, well, I do. I, I would address it. <laughs> yeah. I would go, what's the matter with you? Or not like I would berate them, but just like, <laughs> that's puzzling. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's funny. But then, you know, you're essentially the job is to communicate you think is funny. Yeah. To convince other people that, that you're right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. you take these ideas, yeah. you tell them the ideas. And they either agree or disagree yeah. with you as to whether they're funny. No, because I've been to shows where comedians practice their jokes. So before oh, right. a comedian goes on tour, sure. they have, you know, Work a list progress. of jokes and they need to cut some out. So yeah. I've been to shows where it's almost like we're the detectors on whether or not something is funny. Yeah. And they're quite mad. Yeah, they're like, uh, yeah. And like, I, 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 those experiences, yeah, I guess those are the ones because you've done all these before you go to Vicar Street to record something like this. You've done a lot of stress testing. You've done an awful lot of that. You've been, you've, you've attempted to throw it out there and see, yeah, is there something? Because there are definitely certain jokes that you've gone. I thought that was funny. Why, why are, I guess I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And then there's plenty of times where you go. I'm doing something wrong. There's, that is funny. I got to fix that. And you'll have friends like I have a certain amount of comedy friends who you text and ring and go, this joke's not working. And like a mechanic, another comic can pull it apart and go, yeah, you're introducing that too soon. That needs to wait till the end and they'll click it back together. And all of a sudden it's running perfectly. <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a, like, it's a weird, it's a weird, like, it is already a weird thing, but it's a weird kind of, there's a weird kind of construction in mathematics to the But that's weird, interesting, because it's thing. like the grounds of the joke, mm. like, is there. You've got the, you've got the thing, it's just getting the hook almost to. Nearly, I mean, the, the, 
the analogy that a lot of people use is it's a cliff. It's a cliff jump. Uh, the audience have to be taken across this precipice, across to the other side. If they feel like they see the other side coming, there's no thrill in it. There's no laugh. See, you're, if, you, if it's too difficult to get them to the punchline, they'll fall down the middle and won't get the joke. So it's actually just trying to get that the right way. I'm probably just talking shit. No, I actually I love that. I'm, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sitting there being like, wow. Never bore yourself. I'm a sucker for like a quote <laughs> or a, a metaphor analogy like that. I'm like, wow, that really speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's probably people literally unsubscribing from the channel right now. <laughs> like, help. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. I'm only messing. But um, Notions 11. So yeah, that's going to be an incredible show. What advice would you give to some new comedians if someone is in the room, listening right now, thinking, I want to make it, I want to do what he's doing. Well, How do I they do that? I guess, uh, like, there's various, uh, there's so many different places that person could be listening to it, right? Yeah. If you're in the place of, I've never tried this before, but secretly, I would like to do it. And I mean, that's every comic that you've seen on the TV has started there with the idea that, I think I could do that. You have to get up. There's no there's no point in talking about it, annoying your friends about it. Go and get up, do an open spot somewhere, and usually you'll know right away. It is like, weirdly, it is like a relationship. Hmm. Irish women are no-nonsense. Do not waste my time. <laughs> <laughs> Comedy is the exact same way. Comedy will tell you, yeah. this is for you, this is not for you. Not all Irish women are right when they tell a guy to feck off in a bar. Yeah. They can miss a guy. Yeah. They can miss a golden one. Mm. I would give it three open spots. Give yourself three five-minute sets. If at the end of that, you're still in love with her <laughs> and she's being kind to you, go for it. I mean, really, really, really commit. commit. Um, but it, like, it's one of the few jobs where again, Seinfeld said, like, you don't give a surgeon a scalpel and go, just keep cutting until the person feels better. <laughs> but in comedy, you pretty much do that. You go, get up, do it, and they start laughing. You've got a new job. Yeah. That's it. Like, it's so, it's so weird like that. But there's lots of help out there as well. Yeah. If you're out there and you've tried your open spot, and you're still in love with her, but she's still not being good to you, uh, there's loads of help. You're in an age of uh, like free information, there's so much inspiring uh, writing help and technique help and just loads of comedy to consume. I consume as much of it as you can as well. See different types. There's a lot more out there than just Michael McIntyre. Okay, well I think that's really solid advice. That's <laughs> yeah. actually, thank you. maybe I'll start comedy. <laughs> this, is, this could be my, my new venture. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Gerla. You, you can me. see yourself, see more of him, um, on stage at Vicar Street, March 6th with Notions 11. Thank you. Thank you.